Good morning, everybody. Whoop. Just messed your music up, John. Sorry about that. My bad. Um, if you need a Bible, uh, you could raise your hand, and I'm sure somebody in the back could grab the Bibles off the blue table. And um, Lynn, Lynn, would you mind grabbing a couple Bibles? Or John? If you need a hand, John will give you a Bible. And uh, if you have a Bible, turn in it to Jonah chapter 2. And uh, if, if you missed last Sunday, if you weren't able to be here, we uh, started a series in Jonah. And uh, last Sunday is somewhat foundational to the whole series, so you can check it out online. Uh, but I want to give you a, a little synopsis of where we're at in the story of Jonah. And... Uh, uh, Catch you up a bit, in case you weren't here last week. Uh, do we have the map? I want to show you the map of Jonah's travels. Jonah uh, lived right there in Gath, Heifer. There's going to be a, a test on this at the end, by the way, so take notes. I feel like I'm teaching a class. Um, and uh, if I put something on the board, write it down because it's going to be in the exam. That's what my professors used to always say. And Jonah was called to where? Nineveh. Did somebody say Baltimore? <laughs> and he didn't want to go to Nineveh because it was this big, scary city. And Israel at the time, as we talked about last week, was living in comfort. Uh, their their, their uh, boundaries were expanding. It was a good time to be in Israel. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he fled south to Joppa, which is this port town. And from Joppa, he took off as far away as he could get. And we're going to zoom out a couple frames here like we did last week all the way to Tarshish, which is at the end of the world, um, the, as far as he could possibly get away from Nineveh because he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Kinda, so he's going the opposite direction. And uh, somewhere along there in the Mediterranean, we, don't, we, we have no clue where, but somewhere along the Mediterranean, a storm hit. The, bone, the boat was breaking up. They were all going to die. And uh, the sailors, of course, are freaking out. They ask Jonah uh, what he thinks they should do. And his response is, kill me. Throw me overboard, and, uh, and you'll be fine. It's, it's me that the creator has a problem with. And so they uh, take him up on his offer, and they throw him overboard into the ocean, into the, or the sea, the Mediterranean. And um, the waves are crashing and surrounding him and, and uh, completely just drowning him. And uh, uh, God is not finished with Jonah, and so he sends a fish. And, and Jonah then is swallowed by a fish. And, and now try to pretend like this is the first time you're hearing this story, okay? So at this moment, he's swallowed by a fish. And that's where we're at today. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, so we are there uh, in, in Jonah chapter 2. He's inside the fish. Uh, theologian Clark said this, How could Jonah either pray or breathe inside the stomach of a fish? Very easily, he says, if God so willed it. And let the reader keep this constantly in view. The whole is a miracle. From Jonah's being swallowed by the fish till he was cast ashore by the same animal, it was God that had prepared the great fish. It was the Lord that spake to the fish and caused him to vomit Jonah upon the dry land. All is a miracle. God performed a miracle in Jonah's life. Physically, just keeping him alive inside a fish. Uh, he should have died. Everybody agree? If you were swallowed by a fish, what do you think would happen to you? Exactly. 
God performed a physical miracle in his life, kept him alive inside the fish for three days and three nights, but he also performed a spiritual miracle in Jonah's life. Because remember, Jonah's heart was, was turned away from God. He was facing as far away from God as he could possibly face, getting as far away from, from uh, Nineveh as he could possibly go, running from the presence of God. He wanted nothing more to do with God. He didn't want to be a prophet anymore. He just wanted to go to Tarshish. And God performs a miracle in his life where he, he grabs Jonah by the heart, and, and turns him back, back to him. Um, some of you may, may feel like you're in the similar spot this morning. And there's a spiritual miracle that must happen in your life if you're ever going to face God. If you're ever going to enjoy God's presence once again. There's, you have a, a lack of passion. Say, we're in, we're in football season. And we know passion with football, right? Um, I was in a speech group one time. And, and the guy giving the speech had everybody stand up and said, okay, your favorite team scored a touchdown, now react. And it was really awkward, and I was like, ah, you know, everybody's kind of, ah. And so I won't, won't uh, do that to you guys. I thought about doing that, actually, but I'll spare you. Um, but uh, uh, when I grew up near Cleveland, and uh, so Cleveland fans are as crazy about football as Baltimore fans are. Um, if not crazy, like Cleveland fans, literally, I think some of them have lost their minds, especially when I was growing up, like familiar with the dog pound and uh, overweight, half-naked men painting themselves orange, wearing dog ears and painting whiskers on their face, screaming like, ah, like that. And they're probably like accountants during the week or something like that. <laughs> it's like, um, we get crazy about something as trivial as football, right? I mean, I, I love football. And I, I know some of you, and probably myself, will be watching the game this afternoon a little bit. We love it, but it's trivial, really, when we think about it. It's just a game. And we get so passionate about it. We can, like, take our clothes off and paint ourselves orange or purple or whatever, red, whatever your, your team is, and go crazy over something that's, that's really rather trivial. I want to pastor a group of people who are more passionate about eternal things, more passionate about um, the, the lives of those who have never heard the name of Christ, more passionate about the fact that, that God's kingdom and his peace is not being experienced in a city that we love, more passionate about seeing people fall in love with this great creator, eternal things, than we are about trivial things. And I'm not picking on football. It's just football season. And you might be here, and you might be like, man, like, and I'm not, not in kind of like a, a judgmental way or anything, but I'm just saying, you, you might be honest with me and say, you know, honestly, I, I don't feel that passionate about God. I don't feel that passionate about eternal things. I would like to. Um, I once was, maybe. But I no longer am. I don't feel the, the, uh, the joy of my salvation anymore. My, my hope is, um, through, as we go through Jonah's prayer inside the belly of the fish this morning, my hope is that uh, some of us will um, have our eyes opened in a whole new way. Uh, those of you who, who feel like you indeed need a miracle, if you are ever going to experience the joy of God's presence again, 
if you're ever going to, um, uh, to desire him and, and, just, and just simply uh, uh, desire, desire to give him glory, it's literally going to take a miracle in your life. And my hope is, my prayer is this morning that, that, uh, that I can give you maybe a little handle here, something to look at, something to think about, um, and, and that possibly, as a result, the Holy Spirit will do a work in your heart and perform a miracle in your life. We are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God that we love, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to start with some prayer and we're going to ask God to just come in. My words are uh, really, really just words unless God's Spirit takes them and does something in your heart and in your lives. Um, so let's, let's begin with prayer. God, we do look to you right now. Um, as, as we know that uh, the words that I speak and the sentences that I create are are absolutely nothing without your spirit moving in our hearts and without your word becoming alive to us. God, I do pray that you speak to us through the pages of scripture, through your word. Uh, I pray that your spirit will uh, convict us, will open our eyes to where we are at, uh, to how we have ignored you, to, to how we are prone to wander from you, the God that we love. And God, I pray that we will turn our faces to you once again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. He sees the waves and the breakers as gods. Like, this isn't just some random occurrence that, that sucks, but this is actually, these are God's waves that are sweeping over me and that are pulling me into the, into the heart of the sea. And Jonah now, being in the belly of the fish, has had some time to gather his thoughts, and he's he's recounting the the uh, what led him to this place. How how I mean, at some point you've got to he's got to be asking, how did I get from Israel to inside the belly of a fish? <laughs> like, what happened? And so he's thinking, he's recounting the, what the, these these events that have taken place, and probably I think some time has passed now. Probably the majority of three days has gone by. And this is what Jonas realizes, that he's not going to die. I am sure that as the fish, his mouth came around him and completely consumed him, and as he feels himself sliding through the throat of a fish and into the belly, like, all I know, I'd be, I'd be just like, I'm going to die. Like, that would just be this thought that's repeating, repeating in my mind over and over and over again. I'm going to die. I'm, this is it. You know, here, here, here we go. This is it. I am sure he thought he was going to die. And as he's there in the belly of the fish for some time, um, can't even imagine the horror, he's realizing that he's not dying. 
like in some way, and maybe Jonah couldn't even explain it to us if he was here right now. In some way, God is keeping his life, his heart beating. He's, he, God is sustaining him in some fashion. He's not dying. And after some time, like Jonah realizes, I mean, he's still in the fish. Let's keep that in mind. He hasn't been spit out yet. He's still in the fish. Yet he's realizing that God is sustaining his life. And for Jonah right now, that's enough. He doesn't know what's next. He might still die in the fish. But for now, God is sustaining Jonah's life inside the belly of a fish. And it is, has drawn Jonah now, as he's contemplated this and as he's thought about it, inside the belly of the fish, it has now drawn him to this place of thankfulness, of gratefulness, and of turning his heart back to the God that he loves. And from that place emerges this beautiful prayer that's written, it's written like a psalm. Uh, David, the psalmist, knows this kind of distress uh, and these sorts of prayers. In Psalm 88, David says, For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. Psalm 18, The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. And, and David has also experienced this sort of... Uh, Life after what should be death. As in Psalm 30, he says, O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. If you know anybody that uh, has had one of those I should be dead experiences, a car accident that they should have not survived, they were impaled by a fence or something like that, Um, uh, there's a guy named Ed Dobson who I've become a big fan of. Um, he, he was uh, part of the moral majority when it first got started in, in the 80s. In the late 80s, he actually left the moral majority because he kind of saw some big issues with, with the uh, way that they were trying to bring about, about change. Uh, became a pastor, at a, or was a pastor at, uh, for years at Calvary Church in Grand Rapids, a mega church. Um, the guy uh, loves Jesus. Um, has had uh, tons of what we would call success. But 10 years ago, he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. And if you know anything about Lou Gehrig's disease, you know that uh, you don't live, you don't live, live very long after you, uh, after you have it. And he was told that he has two to five years left to live. Um, and he knew this kind of despair. He, knew, he knows what it's like to, to, to be told you're going to die. Now, jump forward a little, a little bit. Ten years later, he's still alive today. Actually, little, little plug, he's speaking in Baltimore today at five at a friend's church. If you want to go with me, let's chat afterwards. I'm going to be going. Um, when I listen to him talk, uh, he speaks with, with a kind of appreciation for life that I don't have. Uh, with, with an awareness of God that I don't have. If you know anybody who should be dead, like their, their life is extended far beyond um, what, what nature would prescribe it. They are people who have a new appreciation for life. They see things in a brighter way. The, the sun shines brighter for these people. The sky is bluer. The air is crisper. They they, they love people more. They, they just, they find people more enjoyable than they used to. And, and maybe they have a new appreciation for God. Uh, for Jonah, 
the fact that he should be dead right now and uh, the fact that he's not has, is, is enough for him. That means that God is not finished with him. That means that God is not throwing him away like a piece of trash. When, when God very well could and probably would be just in doing so, God is sustaining Jonah's life inside the fish. And so from that place emerges this prayer. I want, I want to uh, describe to you or allow Jonah to describe to you what this was like for him. Look at verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. Another way to translate that is the waters were at my throat. Uh, feeling the liquid inside his throat. He can't breathe. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. In the belly of a fish, the engulfing waters threatened him. The waters are, are at his throat, choking him. He's surrounded by the deep seaweed wrapped around his head, probably around his face, sinking, as he describes it, to the, to the roots of the mountains. He describes this feeling as, as being barred in, like being in prison. And I can only imagine what it would be like to be inside a fish. Um, a horror, not just for those with claustrophobia. Could you imagine if Jonah was a claustrophobic? This, <laughs> I'm like borderline claustrophobic, I think, sometimes. Um, but a whore, not just to those folks, but to every one of us. We can't breathe. There's just, there's material everywhere and water everywhere. Yet God now is sustaining your life. And that turns, that fear now turns into confidence. And it turns, turns into thankfulness. And it turns into praise. At the core, look at, look at verse 4. At the core of his horror is, uh, that he's experiencing, he says this, I said, I have been banished from your sight. I have been banished from your sight. Imagine what Jonah must have been feeling in this moment, like a, a medieval king banishing one of his servants, right? You are forever banished from my, from my presence. One thing that Jonah is realizing now that he forgot is that God is the authority in this world. God is the king. And he, he, he forgot that and he thought he could run from God. Um, in, in Romans, Paul says, uh, re reminds the Romans that we... Uh, when we become children of God, we are never free agents again. That we are now permanently bound to the creator God. That we are slaves to God. And that God now can do whatever he wants with us. Like Jonah forgot that. Jonah really thought that it was his decision. He really thought that he could kind of say no to God for now and do his own thing for a while. Um, completely forgetting that God is the one slave master, authority, king, creator of this universe. And that God can and will do whatever he wants. And so in some ways what we're seeing here now is, is Jonah's focus is, is uh, not, not on Nineveh anymore. As a matter of fact, I don't think Jonah was ever really running from Nineveh per se. 
I think the, the sin, underneath the sin of running from Nineveh was, was that he was running from God as his authority. He didn't want God to be his authority. There's a guy named Jonathan Lehman who wrote a book uh, largely on, on the issue of authority. Um, and, and he talks, it's really interesting, sort of a cultural analysis that he does. And he, and he, he says that our problem in our culture is, is not individualism. Now, individualism is a problem. This idea of, of placing ourselves at the center of the universe and wanting everything for ourselves and everything should serve us and everything's about us uh, c creates consumerism. Individualism is a problem, but it's not the problem. It's not the core problem. Um, and then he says we often try to answer individualism with communism and not necessarily in the political sense, but in the sense of like, all right, so there should be no individuals. We should, all we should be in community together. Uh, there should be no leader. There should be no authority. And we should just all make decisions together based on uh, our, our commune. And um, he says that that's really not the answer either because that's also creating a whole other problem. And, and so what he says then is this. Our problem is not individualism. And our problem is not, or answer, is not communism. Our problem is what he calls anti-authoritarianism. Not anti-authoritarianism, but anti-authoritarianism, meaning we want no authority over us. That's, that's the root of individualism and the root of communism is we don't want any authority over us at all, period. We don't want to submit to authority, whether that's, that's, that's the submission to, to uh, an, a, an accountability relationship, to a local church, at the core, whether that's a submission to God, we're running from that. We don't want the scriptures to be an authority in our lives. We want the way we feel about the scriptures to be an authority in our lives. But we really don't want God speaking through his word to be our authority. This is the, the, what, what caused Jonah to run is the same thing that causes us to run. Is we sense God is telling us something through somebody, through um, through the scriptures being proclaimed, through the scriptures being read, and, and uh, we run from that. And we change it in our minds somehow. Because we don't want God to be our authority. Now, what Jonah's realizing is that God is his authority, and that God is this king who has now imprisoned him in the, in the belly of a fish, who is also his life support, keeping him awake, and he f has the sense that he has been banished from God's presence, and, but then he finishes the sentence, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Jonah should be dead. There's no reason he should be alive. Um, and let me just throw this out there. Do you not think that God could raise up someone else to go to Nineveh? Of course he could. Like, he could raise up any, any one of maybe hundreds of prophets to go to Nineveh to be his messenger. I mean, God would be completely just in letting Jonah die right there. He doesn't need Jonah. There's nothing about Jonah that is appealing to God. Jonah doesn't have a swagger about him. He, he, he doesn't have this great, um, any, any kind of uh, talents or gifts that's going to turn the hearts of the people of Nineveh. God doesn't need Jonah. Yet God is pursuing Jonah. God won't let Jonah go. He won't let him die, even though Jonah has wanted to die. And so in this, then, he simply turns his eyes toward the king. 
Look at verse 7. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. In this moment, Jonah's eyes are not on his future. His eyes are not on the question of, well, if I turn back to God now, what is this all going to mean, mean for me? That's not what he's thinking about. He's not thinking about what, what he's going to have to do. He's not thinking, his eyes, I don't want to make this very clear, his eyes at this point are not on Nineveh. He's not, he doesn't mention Nineveh once. In this, he, he never says, God, I will go to Nineveh if you let me out. He never says that. He's not thinking of Nineveh right now. He's not thinking about what he's supposed to be doing right now. Because frankly, he's, he's paralyzed. He can't do anything. He can't go to Nineveh right now. And in that moment, what he does is he simply turns his eyes toward his king. Now, when, when we fall away from God, when we, when we drift, when we turn the other way, when we're, be, because of our apathy or whatever reason it is that we, we slowly begin to drift away and we're thinking about things in a different way and, and we're not desiring what God desires, and then we find ourselves completely cut off. We find, find ourselves uh, missing the joy of our salvation and missing the presence of God. When we find ourselves in those states, often what we do is we think, Okay, what does God want me to do? Let me figure that out. And then I'll do those things in order to, in order to work my way back to, toward having a relationship with God. Um, for example, I was, uh, had a, a couple years ago, really great conversation with a really good friend of mine um, who has fallen away from, from Christ years ago. And uh, so we were chatting about um, the gospel and the beauty of Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I finally asked him, I was like, what is it that's keeping you from, uh, from really just embracing this, the, the beauty of the gospel? And, and his response was, well, if I become a Christian or if I come back to God, then I know that I'm, I'm going to have to pray a lot. And I just can't see myself doing that. Like, I, I don't think, I can't focus long enough, I can't pray. Um, I know that I'll have to go to church on Sundays, and I don't want to go to church. And uh, you know, I, I, He's been to this church before, and he's like, I just don't like listening to you talk. <laughs> really honest guy. Um, he was like, I don't want to uh, sing. I, can't, I, I don't like it when we sing together. You know, he's just, uh, I, I can't get these things. And so I try, to, I try to like those things. I try to work up a passion for those things, and I just can't. So therefore, it's just, it's, it's not me. It's beyond me. And, and we kind of chuckle at that, but for him, this, is, this was a real problem. Like, I want, in some ways, to be connected and united with God, but I can't do what God wants me to do. And, and, and so we, another example might be, you're, you're far off from God, and, and you might say something like, I tried to pray, but I just don't feel he's there. Or you might say, I know I should care for the poor, but frankly, I don't. Or you might say, I just can't love uh, other Christians. I know I'm supposed to be in fellowship with people, but frankly, I don't like Christians very much. They annoy me. And uh, I, I just can't do that. Or you might say, I don't read the Bible. And to be honest, I don't want biblical truth. I don't want to submit myself, myself to the scriptures. Uh, you might say, I, I, uh, 
God would want me to share my faith and I don't want to share my faith and I find that odd and awkward and, and the reality is, is I don't have much faith anyway to share and so how can I share my faith? Or you might say I know I should love the city uh, but I just can't go to Nineveh or whatever that might be. What I'm getting at is this, we, we try, when we're far off from God, when we've run from God, when we've turned the other way, we automatically think that our turning back to God means changing our actions. It means doing something, is what we think. Because we think repentance means doing something. We think repentance means changing our actions. Um, and then what happens is we're far off from God. Uh, we can't muster up enough courage or enough passion to do these things. And so then we decide that, well, I just can't ever enjoy the presence and the beauty of God anymore. And we fall back into this endless cycle. And, and you might be here and you might be like, wow, like that's where I'm at. Like I don't know how to break out of that. I can't muster up enough passion to do what God wants me to do, to change my actions. And you may have then resigned yourself to the fact that you are... Um, going to forever remain the way that you are and never again experience the joy of your salvation or the beauty of God's presence. And you feel utterly hopeless. And right you should. Right you should. Let's think about sin for just a moment, all right? Um, how many sins did it take for all of humanity to fall. One. And what was that sin according to the Genesis narrative? What was that sin? Eating a fruit. They took a fruit that they weren't supposed to eat and they ate a fruit. One bite of fruit. And because of that one sin, all of humanity fell Every bit of brokenness that we experience in this world, every bit of pain that we experience in this world, every terrorist attack, every shooting, every mugging, uh, every person that dies of cancer and other diseases, every child that dies at a young age, all of that is a result of one sin. And then we think, among us, my, myself, I've probably committed thousands and thousands of sins. In this room right now, we've prob we're probably in the millions somewhere. Maybe more. And we say, well, that's not right. Like, is, it, is eating a fruit such a bad thing that all of humanity should fall? Is eating a fruit such a bad thing that, that now uh, sickness and death has entered into the world and decay and greed and people shoot each other because they want a dollar? Like, that's not right. I mean, is it so bad that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? Is it so bad that he cared about his own safety and he didn't want to take this dangerous message to a dangerous city? And that he decided to go the other direction and head to Tarshish? Is that such a bad thing? And then what we realize is this. It's not the sin that you commit that is so grievous. It's who you sin against. So, for instance, if you go down to uh, 1518 McCullough Street, where I live, there's a tree in front of my house that I like. 
and if you were to cut that tree down and you sinned against my tree, you would be somewhat guilty. Um, but not very guilty. It was just a tree. If you sin against another human, you're, you're guilty. You'll probably get locked up. But if you sin against an infinitely holy God, you are infinitely guilty. One sin has caused all of humanity to fall. And then as we ponder this and as we think about our own lives and as we, as we are honest with ourselves and as we look inward at our hearts, what we realize is that we are so full of sin. Like it's, it's not just a part of us, it's our, it's our core. That's why we are called sinners because that's what we do. We think sin. We are prone to wander from the God that we love. We're prone to leave him. If we, leave, if we, if we are left to our natural desires and to just live life on our, in, a, in a normal way, we will turn away from God and we will wander from God. That, that's it. And it's because we are sin at the core. And then as we continue to think this through and we think it out, what we then realize is that God would be entirely just in, in pouring his wrath down upon us and destroying us all in this moment. We should be dead. When we consider the state of humanity in relationship with this infinitely holy God and as we have turned away from him and, and, and as we look away from him and, and with every opportunity, we should be dead. We are utterly hopeless. We are absolutely miserable and there is nothing in us that is good. And there is an eternal divide between us and this king. Now, when, when we in this moment then realize that we should be dead, yet God is pursuing us. God is not finished with us. There is nothing within me that God should desire, yet God is pursuing me. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need me in Baltimore. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you in Baltimore. God doesn't need us. Yet he's pursuing us. And we're not dead. It changes things. It changes the conversation. See, we talked about this last week, but Jesus um, compared himself to Jonah. Jesus saw a lot of parallels between his, his own life and his work and his calling and his mission here on earth and that of Jonah's. And, and one of those is found right here. Jesus knew suffering as did Jonah. And to a greater extent, Jesus had great afflictions as, and sorrows, so many and so heavy that it was said uh, of him that he was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. For Jesus too, the, the depth closed in around him and, and he, was, he, he sunk into the great deep and, and the, the waters completely consumed him and, and he, was, uh, he sunk to this place where there was no one else standing. In Jesus' own words, in Matthew 12, 40, I'll just read it to you. For as Jonah, he says, this is Jesus talking prophetically. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man 
will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, the, the beauty of the cross is this. It's, it's only when we realize that we are utterly hopeless, that we are miserable and there's, there's nothing in us that is desirable. Yet, even though we, we, were, we were infinitely guilty for sinning against the infinitely holy God and God is completely just in pouring out his wrath upon us, that sin was placed onto Christ. See, Jonah was flooded by water because of his running and because of his rebellion. But for Jesus, it was the floods of sin. It was the floods of sinners. It was the floods of divine wrath that were poured upon him. And when we, when we then stand in view of the cross... And we see that, that our wandering and, and our sin was completely placed on Jesus on the cross. And that he absorbed God's wrath on our behalf. And even though there was nothing about us that, that God should desire and, pursue, and want, God still pursued us while we were yet sinners. He loved us and Christ died for us. And has redeemed us. Is calling us. He wants us to turn to him to have a relationship with you. It's phenomenal, isn't it? You should be dead in your trespasses and your sins, yet God is not finished with you. Look at verse 8. He says this, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And then he, he ends, Jonah ends with this, But I, with a song of salvation, and remember, he's still in the fish. He hasn't been spewed out yet. But I, with a song of uh, thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. And then he closes it with this last line. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Salvation for Jonah is not found in going to Nineveh. That's not really the point. For, for Jonah to just decide to, okay, I'm going to be right with God now and I'm going to do what God wants me to do and I'm going to go to Nineveh, Jonah would have been completely missing the point. It wasn't about going to Nineveh. It's not about doing all of the hard things that God wants you to do. It's not about going to all the scary places that God wants you to go and living the kind of radical life that God, God wants you to live. Um, Matthew 3.8, and I want you to turn there. Um, if you can. If you can't, that's fine. I'll just read it really quick. Matthew 3.8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What comes first, repentance or fruit? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance comes first. Yeah, repentance comes first. And fruit comes after repentance. And we can say fruit is synonymous with actions. Produce actions in keeping with repentance. So when you are far from God, you're in the belly of the fish like Jonah. His mind isn't on the fruit that he's supposed to be producing, going to Nineveh, seeing transformation in Nineveh. And this moment, he's focusing on repentance. And repentance is this. It's turning your eyes 
to the work of Jesus on the cross. From the belly of the fish, when you realize that you are paralyzed, that you don't have enough passion to do the things that, that, that you think God wants you to do, you don't have enough energy to do, do those things, you don't have enough desire, you try to have a passionate prayer life and you can't, and, 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 you, and you just keep trying these actions, it's stopping that. And it's realizing that you will never do any of those things because you are miserable. And in this moment then, you turn and you just face the cross. And you begin to realize the beauty of the cross that even though you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And you now have goodness. You are worthy in God's eyes. God loves you because of, because of the cross. This, this is sort of the, the handle that I want to give you guys and to, to think about. When you are far off, when you are far off, the answer is, to not, is not to just figure out what God wants you to do and to do it. That is not the answer. When you are far off, the answer is to recognize that you are a miserable sinner and Christ is a victorious Savior and that salvation comes from the Lord and it's time to just look to the cross. Now, fruit, actions, whatever it is that God does want you to do, those things will follow true repentance. That is, that is correct. But it's going to come from a whole other place. Because the reality is this, is as we start to think about what it is that God is calling you to do, those actions, you can't do it on your own power. And so when you start to feel like, I don't have the strength, the passion, the energy, etc., 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 of course you don't. And so now is the time to not worry about Nineveh. Now is the time to focus on the cross, to turn your eyes to Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face. And, the, and at that moment, the things of earth will, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. As he bore your wrath, as he took our sin, which has forever separated us from you, he has taken that sin on him. He has become guilty on our behalf. And as Jonah was spewed on, onto the shore after three days, Christ rose victoriously from the grave, giving us life forever. And God, this morning, we turn our eyes to Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
week we uh, come together around the table to remind ourselves of this covenant of, lo of love. That's what we are all about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus went to the cross, he took the bread and he broke it and he took the cup and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is broken for you and this is my blood which has been poured out for you. Each time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning we remind ourselves of the covenant of love that we have with God through the blood and the body of Christ. Bearing the wrath on our behalf so we may have life. If you're here this morning and uh, this is some of the first, thing, first time that, uh, that some of these things have clicked for you and, and you, you see that, that Christ has died for you even though you are a sinner and his, through his death and through his resurrection you can have life before you come to the table I, I ask you to turn your eyes to Christ look to him say God I get it I'm a sinner and I accept salvation and if there is animosity for all of us uh, between us and God or between us and another individual, um, I implore you to make it right right now or commit to making it right before you come to the table. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this beautiful expression of uh, and reminder of the cross, uh, Jesus' blood which was poured out for us and his body which was broken for us. And God, I do ask that as we come to the table this morning that you unite us uh, with one another in a very spiritual and real way and that you unite us with you. Remind us of, uh, of our sin, but also of the cross, of the beauty of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs> 